Welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, good things can happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, radio and TV personality, talent booker, and political enthusiast. And I'm Jen Jordan. I'm a state senator. I am a dog mom and a mother to teenagers. And uh, right now, a suburban housewife. I like how you put dog mom before regular mom. Well, you know, it's been a tough (laughs) morning, I have to say. Well, Jen, it's obviously always great to be with you. There's so much to talk about, and we got to go right to the Supreme Court. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which we did address last week. I think we were both in a state of shock about this. Um, but now a lot of work is beginning. Did you ever, like as a lawyer, did you ever look at any of her briefs or what, what is as uh, your experience as a lawyer or what does she mean to you? Yeah, I think especially as a, as a woman lawyer, you know, the biggest thing about her was that she really relied on her intellect and she could dissent and she could disagree with people without being disagreeable. And that is something that as a lawyer, and especially as a woman lawyer, you always really want to strive for. Um, And what's great and what I'll tell folks is this is really kind of the dorky gen lawyer thing, is that the Supreme Court actually records all of their oral arguments. And you can go back and hear Justice Ginsburg when she was a lawyer arguing um, some of the seminal cases when it comes to, you know, women's rights in this country. And it's just fascinating to hear her, her words and her argument and just see um, how ahead of the time she really was. If you want to be a true professional, you will do something outside yourself, something to repair tears in your community. No door should be closed to people willing to spend the hours of effort needed to make dreams come true. We are a nation made strong by people like you. In my lifetime, I expect to see three, four, perhaps even more women on the high court bench. Women not shaped from the same mold, but of different complexions. We are at last beginning to relegate to history books the days of the token, one-at-a-time woman. The number of women who have come forward as a result of the Me Too movement has been astonishing. My hope is not just that it is here to stay, but that it is as effective for the woman who works as a maid in a hotel as it is for Hollywood stars. What are some of the positives? What do we see happening? Uh, We know it's going to go through, right? Because this is, is is this sort of, because I have been trying to talk myself into this. With the election, there's a very good chance that uh, several Senate seats are going to flip blue. You've got Arizona, Maine. Those are pretty much, there's a couple of them that are sure things. So, can we take comfort in that the Senate is very likely to flip? Yeah, and and to be quite frank, whatever McConnell does may make that more likely. And so if there's a vote before, obviously um, the, the, the senators, the Republican senators who are in trouble uh, will likely, you know, get punished for it. And if he kind of holds out the vote, 
you know, is that going to, is that going to really push people to get out and vote those folks out? So, you know, there can be Democratic senators come in in January. Another interesting thing when they're talking about what people's priorities are, and I saw a poll, I do follow Frank Luntz on Twitter, and he's a Republican pollster. And you see him a lot, like he's been on 60 Minutes, and he's always, you know, pumping out these polls. And oh, and sidebar, thanks to everybody who tweeted us at Senator Jen and at Mara Davis to let us know you've been polled. We got a lot of feedback on that. Um, but one of the polls said, Jen, that when it came to Catholics and what their priorities were, abortion was 13, where healthcare was more important, where the economy was more important. So I think so much of this is being put into a wedge issue here for people who are religious. So I think there is a difference between Catholics and evangelicals. Look, the number one thing that we need to be focused on is really the Affordable Care Act, because that is what is at stake. I know that we we talk about our rights and look, that that is at play here, but that's always kind of been in the background and we've always known that. Um, but a more immediate impact of this choice is the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, being struck down, which is going to deprive a lot of people of health insurance. And not only that, but all of the people I know with pre-existing conditions. And now even more after COVID, because now we have all these people who've recovered who now have pre-existing conditions because of this awful virus. And so what's going to happen with them in terms of their health care? So that's what we need to be laser focused on. It's like, yeah, Rights are absolutely important, don't get me wrong, Um, but the most immediate harm, the one right in front of us, is a case that is going to be in front of the Supreme Court, I believe in October, um, where we have Republican attorney generals like Chris Carr and Republican governors like Brian Kemp trying um, to strike the ACA down. And, and, And that is what we need to try to prevent. Right. I want to play you this clip from The View. I am the number one super fan of The View. I know it's not healthy and everybody makes fun of me, but I do watch The View and I think it's one of the most important political shows on TV, believe it or not. This is something that Joy Behar said that I thought really resonated. You know, I was thinking about uh, the Supreme Court because we've lost that battle. I don't want to talk about the Republicans anymore. Um, We've lost the battle. That doesn't mean we've lost the Senate. Uh, these are these states mm-hmm. that are up for grabs. Colorado, Georgia, Iowa, Kansas, Maine, Montana, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Texas. Arizona, too. Uh, votes. And Arizona, mm-hmm. too. That's mm-hmm. right. So those states could become Democratic, uh, uh, help the Democrats to win the Senate. And I also was thinking about if you're a privileged person, as I am, uh, I don't have to worry about the Supreme Court that much because I'm white because I'm postmenopausal, so I can't get pregnant, thank God. Um, I'm, I happen to be straight, you know. Um, I have money because, of the, because I've been working on this view for so many years. I've accumulated some money, thank God, also. And I'm not an immigrant. I mean, I am a woman, but because I can't get pregnant, it doesn't affect me as much, thanks to Ruth Bader, who has basically fixed a lot of the stuff that that hurt women of all colors. So you don't have to, it's for those people who are not privileged that we have to worry about. That is who you're voting for. It's like, it's like you wear the mask for someone else 
and you you want the Supreme mm -hmm. Court to be a steady force in, in America because, for someone else, not for you, when you are privileged. This is really going to be interesting to see what happens. The other thing I wanted to bring about up about the Supreme Court is uh, Justice Alito and Justice Thomas are no spring chickens. I'm not killing them off like they tried to do with Ginsburg. And don't get on me for saying, oh, how dare you? Because they were saying this about Ginsburg for years. But look, when someone's in their 70s, I'm not saying they're going to die, but I'm saying there may be a desire to retire. Right. Look, I mean, I think what we know is that that's even more of a reason to elect a Democratic president, to elect Joe Biden, and also to make sure that we that Democrats take over the Senate. Because if you have two more that possibly retire or step down from the court, I mean, that's like five picks that Donald Trump would get to the Supreme Court. One man, it just seems it, it, it's unbelievable to me. So, you know, the deal is with the Supreme Court, the reason why it's kind of gone back and forth and you'd get a Democratic president a pick, a Republican president would get a pick. The whole idea is that you want balance and you want the court not to go one way or the other, because really they're kind of the last resort for litigants in this country. And so at this point, because of the shenanigans of Republicans in terms of what they did with Merrick Garland, and now they're going to rush to fill this position, even though it's counter to everything they've said before, you know, we're going to have a Supreme Court that's really out of sync with the majority of Americans. And, you know, that's just, that's not how it was designed. That's not what people want. People want balance. People want fairness. Um, and at the end of the day, if they don't think they're going to get it, it really delegitimizes the court. Well, this is why we're going to keep an eye on this over the next couple of weeks, because they're going to rush through these hearings. And I am still not convinced that they can pull it off in this short of time. But this is such a upside down, crazy t town world that it, this is just all so weird. Um, so we'll keep our eye on it. We'll keep our eye on Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, too, who have said they're not going to do it. They're not going to vote for it. Not that it matters because they only have two and they needed four. And then there's the issue of Captain Mark Kelly uh, in Arizona. Right, right. And also... Raphael Warnock here in Georgia, because they would be taking the place of an appointed senator, they would be um, sworn in immediately after winning the election. Right. And that's another conversation for another day with this uh, Matt Lieberman, even though his poll numbers are dropping and Warnock's numbers are rising. I feel like the Democrats need to keep their eye on the one ball. Yeah, but it's incredibly hard. I mean, and I think we know that. One last thing, though, because we got to at least have a little bit of fun with the Supreme Court, if that's possible. If you were going to pick a favorite, and, and, and you and I can make a friendly bet, if you're going to pick a favorite in terms of who Donald Trump is going to pick to fill that spot, who would it be? And well, we'll be able to come back and see if who's right. If Donald Trump were able to pick it, without any advisement from anybody on his team or the Republican Party, if solely Trump got to choose, his pick would be uh, Judge Pirro from Fox News. 100%. That is who he would choose. Judge okay. Janine. All right. Well, then let's <laughs> let's go back to the people 
who are actually competent and on the short list for the Supreme Court. Who do you, who do you think the pick's going to be? He's going to pick whoever's the hottest. <laughs> See, that's wrong. Because then, you know. Jen, this is where we are. He is being presented with all the briefs about each judge. Do you believe he's actually reading it? No, not from a legal perspective, but I'll tell you who I think it's going to be. Okay. And I don't think it's the favorite that everybody thinks it is. Okay. Everybody talks about Amy. Um, what's Coney Barrett. Coney Barrett. And she's kind of been top of mind for a lot of folks, and they've been focusing on her. I think it's going to be Judge Barbara Lagoa. And the reason I say that is because uh, she is from Florida. Parents fled from Cuba. And she was a federal prosecutor in Miami. She kind of has all the bona fides with respect to that. She's young. And the number one state at stake is Florida. And who's he trying um, to get to vote for him? So I think that he's going to go for the easy choice, the choice that's going to be, you know, that may actually benefit him in terms of the ballot box. Sidebar, she's really good looking. Oh, see, now you're going to try to win one way or the other. That's not fair. (laughs) I'm just trying to figure out this man's mind, and that is what it comes down to. Listen, tweet me, at Mara Davis, at Senator Jen, complain all day. That is what he's going to do. All right, well, I think we're going to get to our uh, guest. So Brian Robinson is a Republican political strategist who can be heard on WABE's Political Breakfast with Dennis O'Hare. He was formerly the Deputy Chief of Staff and the Communications Director for Governor Nathan Deal. And so it'll be really interesting what he has to say. Well, Brian, thanks for for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, You know I never tell you no. Oh, well, that's not true. So, okay, so we were just talking about Donald Trump's pick for the Supreme Court, and we kind of made a friendly wager about who we thought it was going to be and why. So, we're going to ask you if you were advising Donald Trump, who would you advise him to pick, and, and why would that be? I would definitely go with the judge from Indiana, and it's because I think she poses the greatest risk for Democrats because they can't help themselves when dealing with evangelicals. There's just a, there's just a distrust of evangelicals. And if there's anything that's seen as condescension or arrogance or intolerance toward conservative Christians, that will really rev up uh, Trump's base. I mean, granted, Democrats may not fall into that trap, on the Senate Judiciary Committee, but you know Democrats in the nation and some in the House, like perhaps AOC and and others of that wing of the party, won't be able to help it because their base wants to see Amy Comey Barrett attacked. They they, they want to see her villainized. And so there's going to be somebody who takes the bait and goes after her, and Trump can use that to rev up his, his evangelical base. They're, obviously, the evangelicals are his strongest constituency, probably outside of like white, non-college-educated men. And, and certainly there's an element of them that certainly have some, some reservations about him personally or about his language and tone. But what has kept them with him is this tribal adherence. And he's been loyal to the tribe on those things. And this will emphasize that. 
And so that's why I think she's probably the best bet. Secondly, because she's been around a little bit longer. The Cuban American who's in the court in uh, from Florida, who's in the 11th Circuit, obviously might play well in Florida, helping with with Latin Latino voters there. But I think the best bet as far as experience, time on the bench, is Amy Comey Barrett. And it sounds like also in terms of Judge Barrett from kind of a more of a strategy place of actually um, trying to uh, basically to, to, to own the Dems, to, to get them to overreach so that, um, you know, it may activate Trump's base. Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. I, you know, the the Dianne Feinstein comments from her last confirmation hearing saying, you know, the dogma is strong within you or, or loud within you, something like that, uh, was startling to Christians. I think whether they're evangelical or or mainline, it's like, whoa, wait a second. Since when is being a Christian uh, an extreme uh, ideology? Well, and, and look, I think that, you know, we can we can disagree about what's, what's appropriate or not appropriate in terms of questioning at one of those hearings. Um, but I, I do agree with you that we don't want this, Democrats don't want this to turn into kind of another Kavanaugh situation where by the base is, is seems to think that we're attacking the nominee and then they kind of gather around the nominee um, versus really talking about what's at stake, you know, in terms of, of, of Democrats. Mara, what do you think? Well, I think the fact that she's going to be grilled that is, I think, and maybe Brian, you would agree with this. This is sort of the last ditch effort right now to try and keep the election fervor going. It's, I think it's exactly what you said. And clearly Amy Coney Barrett is someone who's been vetted properly. I mean, there's, you know, I don't like the idea. There is a talking points going around that, you know, the Democrats are trying to villainize her because she's Catholic and because she has seven children. And suddenly, uh, you know, I feel like people are dreaming up that talking point because, you know, Joe Biden's Catholic. He likes to go to church. Um, So I I just think it's it's sort of a last ditch effort. I agree with Brian. It's, It's just to shore up that evangelical base. And, you know. It it is an easy target for Democrats because look we're coming off the heels of Jerry Falwell Jr. Let's not forget you know the king of the evangelicals um, likes to watch his wife get it on with a pool boy. <laughs> I mean I'm just calling it out like you know sorry Jesus uh, he's freaky. <laughs> well you know I I I will say I will make a declarative a declarative statement that. I will predict today that Jerry Falwell Jr. will not be Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court. You you heard it here first. You heard it here first. Okay. Um, So I want to talk about political ads here since we're in the height of the political season and you being a Republican strategist. And we got this idea from obviously the, the ad that really got a lot of buzz. And that is uh, Kelly Loeffler's Attila the Hun ad, which I am curious from you, are people really trying to get a buzz? Did it, did we all know it was sort of ridiculous and and dumb and not well-produced, but 
it got a lot of buzz for like for a hot minute. So was it worth it? Did you know Kelly Leffler was ranked the most conservative senator in America? Yep, she's more conservative than Attila the Hun. Fight China. Got it. Attack big government. Yeah. Eliminate the liberal scribes. More conservative than Attila the Hun. I think the buzz was the entire purpose of it, right? I mean, this is not something that's going to be a long-running ad. The novelty will wear off fairly quickly. But let's look at what's happening right now. All of us who have a television set in Metro Atlanta are getting inundated every break with political commercials, no matter what station you're on. And they're talking about health care, and they're talking about the pandemic and law and order, you know, and they're all beginning to kind of sound alike and to blend in with each other. And if you're sitting in the kitchen making dinner or trying to help the kids with their homework and that ad comes up, you do pause and look up and you, you're hearing something that's unusual with the grunting. You're seeing a visual that is unlike anything else that you are seeing on television at the moment. That is a true and statement. You, yeah, you take notice of it and in, in an atmosphere where we're not taking notice of much. And that is where it is effective. Now, granted, Democrats think it's stupid, but they thought Brian Kemp's primary ads in 2018 were stupid and destructive and would and would kill him. But they didn't, right? They they popped. They went viral. They got people talking about Brian Kemp. And that's what Kelly Leffler is trying to do here. And the second thing, guys, is what is the message of that ad? Right. What is, is the it message? about? The message is I'm the most conservative member of the Senate and her race right now is not against Raphael Warnock. It is against Doug Collins. And they are both fighting for that most conservative voter for that to be seen by Republicans as someone they can trust to be unwaveringly conservative and pro-Trump. And so this is an effort to break through the clutter and drive that simple message. I'm extremely conservative. So so I agree with you that that's the point. And that was the intent. And the folks that did this ad are the same guys who did Kemp's ads, you know, with him sitting with the shotgun and blowing stuff up, which, to be quite frank, I don't agree with the messaging of it as a Democrat, but but they were really well done in the sense of getting people's attention. And also, it's very clear what their message was. I mean, he's blowing stuff up. I mean, there, there, there was no, <laughs> you know, you know exactly what Kemp stood for. I'm Brian Kemp. This is Jake, young man interested in one of my daughters. Yes, sir. Jake asked why I was running for governor. I said, one. Cap government spending. Two. Take a chainsaw to regulations. Three. Make Georgia number one for small business. And two things if you're going to date one of my daughters. Respect. And? A healthy appreciation for the Second Amendment, sir. We're going to get along just fine. Brian Kemp for governor. And then the same people are the ones that did the DeSantis ad um, where he's building, you know, the, the he's using the blocks to build the wall with his son. I mean, all of those were very clear and kind of were trying to do the same thing that this one is trying to do, you know, add a little bit of humor, get people's attention, kind of cut through the clutter um, and say, I'm the most conservative person in the universe. But but those 
those seem to work. I'm not sure if Attila the Hun does. I want to know from you, Brian, do you know what happened to Jake in the Brian Kemp ad? <laughs> Did he ever date uh, Brian Kemp's daughter? Uh, where is he now? I mean, we may have- Like to- inquiring <laughs> minds really want to know. Like what happened to that kid? I felt so bad for him. <laughs> Bad for well, him. That was um, like his star turn, Mara. Come on. It really was. And, you know, I, I, we haven't heard any reports of him uh, being held at gunpoint again. So uh, we can presume that his safety is intact. <laughs> uh, I, I do know at the at the Kemp inaugural in January 2019, uh, Jake was a like celebrity guest. And like people were like, hey, do you want to go meet Jake? And most folks were like, no, it's he, he's like an unknown actor, right? Why would I? Why would I want a picture? You know, but yeah, he did have a star turn. And look, to Jake's credit, those ads worked. I got a question about David Perdue's current ads because his are um, obviously a lot of lots talked about the jean jacket and his like kind of like strongman, you know, silver fox uh, demeanor, like, hey, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. Do we need police reform? Absolutely. But is defunding the police the answer? Absolutely not. Our officers need to look more like the communities they serve. But I have noticed <laughs> that there has been no mention of Trump in any of his ads. Can you explain why? He's in a general election, not a primary election. And, you know, the... Leffler Collins race is in a special, but it is essentially a primary within a special. And so you're going to see them fighting out over who's most loyal to Trump and who votes for Trump the most. And Purdue has got to get every Trump voter that goes to the polls in Georgia, every single one. And the advantage that he has as far as holding that block down is he is branded as a Trump loyalist. He doesn't need to convince us that he's a Trump guy. We know, I mean, the Republican base knows that he is the closest member of the Senate to the president, that he has the president's ear, and that he was with him early before it was cool. It allows him to focus on that two to three percent of the electorate that he needs who will vote for either Biden or skip the line or vote for a third party and then vote for him. He needs to run a few points ahead of Trump. All Trump needs is 48%, and he gets our electoral votes. More, more than likely, he can get him with a plurality. Purdue's got to get a majority to avoid a runoff. And nobody, I mean, I don't think there's anybody in Georgia who wants to see two runoffs going at once. I mean, we will be so over all of this. And both parties will already be dedicating so many resources to the Senate race number two runoff that... Nobody wants to have a second one. No donor class person wants to have Purdue and either Doug or Kelly calling them asking for $2,800 in December. Yeah, but don't you think that there is a good chance of a runoff with respect to the Purdue all-soft race just because of where the libertarian is and, and, and kind of, you know, they're polling at what, about three points, three or four points? It's certainly possible. And look, in 2018, we had a, a public service commission race go to a runoff. We had the secretary of state's race go to a runoff. The uh, statewide official who got the biggest margin was Gary Black, and he only got 53 percent. 
and he ran against somebody who didn't even run a campaign and knew nothing about agriculture. <laughs> I mean, and that's not a joke or a partisan jab. That's the truth. I think any Democrat would probably back me up on that. So it's a tight margin, even in a race that's not contested. And this obviously is contested. I do think that we're seeing a uh, pattern of polling here that shows Purdue slightly ahead in and often outside of the margin of error. So I, if I had to guess, Jen, I would say he's going to get uh, 50% and it's not going to be by a wide margin. But I think he can, he can get there. And some of the libertarian and third party folks, um, what we've seen over the years is that in polling, people who don't want to say how they're voting or haven't decided yet will often say the third party in polling. And then on Election Day, they choose between one of the two major candidates. So those those votes will get dispersed and it, it should be enough to get Purdue over over the top. But might it go to a runoff? Absolutely. No one's going to be shocked. So have you seen the public safety spot that Purdue has run. I mean, the language that he used, the policies that he talks about, I mean, that that could have been a spot that was written for a Democrat running for re-election. Oh, absolutely. And I think he really threaded the needle very well with with that message. He talked about uh, police reforms that, that are needed while also kind of standing up for the law and order message that Republicans and I think a lot of independents and moderates are really hungry to hear right now. So, you know, I agree. It's one of the few examples that we're seeing right now of a candidate who is making a play toward the middle, one that is driving a message that even Democrats would would listen to. I agree with that because, like, for example, I have a family member who is a staunch Republican, will not vote for Trump, but I know he'll do Biden or third party, and then he will definitely vote for Purdue because he's a Republican. And that ad is very good because he's ta- he talks so softly. What about me? <laughs> um, now, I, I want to I, look at me. Come visit me on Sea Island. I am so relatable. Real police reform will make all of our neighborhoods safer and ensure justice for all. We need to put politics aside and get this done. I'm David Perdue, and I approve this message. I want to go to John Ossoff for a minute because I think his approach has been really, really different. I think he's had some ads where, you know, talking about his wife being a doctor, how she had, you know, COVID. Do you think he's doing a good job connecting to people? You know, I, I never underestimate John Ossoff. I live in the 6th Congressional District where he ran in 2017, and I was just floored by the juggernaut that he created in a very short period of time. I mean, I've never seen anybody raise money the way that he did and continues to do in this race. And, you know, I, I saw the appeal that he had, and certainly one of the most important constituencies here in this election is going to be college educated white women. And uh, we showed we we saw in the sixth district where they found him an attractive candidate. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't underestimate him. He's he's he is a good candidate. He, he uh, drives a message on TV very well. He presents well. And I, I, I that's why that's why I say a runoff isn't out of the question. I, I don't think it will happen. Um, I think the Purdue people are running a really good campaign. But so is Ossoff. 
we can't afford John Ossoff. <laughs> My kids are like, how much does he cost? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, there are a couple more ads that that are, uh, I got a kick, such a kick out of, and Jen brought this one up, the um, Joni Ernst pig balls one. I'm Joni Ernst. I grew up castrating hogs on an Iowa farm. So when I get to Washington, I'll know how to cut pork. Joni Ernst, mother, soldier, conservative. My parents taught us to live within our means. It's time to force Washington to do the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which that was also done by the people who produced the Attila spot, I think. Isn't that right, Brian? Oh, really? I didn't know that. I think it is. The guys out of Florida um, who did uh, Heath that. Keith Thompson? Maybe that's the guy's name. But I think he did that too. But, but it kind of comes across. You're right. It cuts through kind of the fog of, you know, law and order or healthcare or whatever these, these kind of, you know, high dollar messages are. And it kind of just gets right down to it and tells you who the person is that's running. Yeah. And, and in Joni Ernst's case, that was a tight race six years ago in Iowa. She's on another tight race right now and it's neck and neck up there. And you know what those, those ads do, they, they do, they break through the clutter. You take notice, they go viral. They're interesting. And in, in that particular case, you're talking about an overwhelmingly rural state, very different than Georgia. I mean, even though we have a large ag community in many rural counties, most Georgians live in metro Atlanta now. So we are fundamentally different. And what that ad said to people is, I'm one of you. Right. I'm right. not some fancy elite. I go and just do the, the hard work every day, just like you do. Which is why I'm not sure if the Attila the Hun gets you there, because I'm not sure I, I feel Leffler's I'm one of you when you've got the grunting Hun on television. But I guess we may have to agree yeah, that, to disagree. That's another question yeah. for you, Brian. Is Kelly Leffler an actual human being? Or was she? Oh, God, y'all going to get me in trouble. Y'all just trying to get you in trouble. Or was she constructed by... Because I, 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 that, to me, is... The, I'm the most confused about her there because she was put, put there to c- connect to suburban women and uh, have a real connection with women. And I don't, I'm not feeling that from her. I mean, I, I, and admittedly, I'm not a conservative women, woman, but I can see ways that I could connect to Nikki Haley, sort of. Um, I could see other women that are Republican women that I could connect to, but I, I just, I, I don't understand it with her. <laughs> well, I mean, look, the, the art of politics is a, uh, is a trade craft, right? And it does take time to learn it. I think that's why it's smart to be like Jen and, and start in the state legislature where the spotlight is not as, as intense and you can kind of learn the ropes and learn some of the basic blocking and tackling moves. and. Leffler got thrown into her first ever political office at the highest level that there is really outside of the presidency of the United States. And as far as the appeal to women, yes, that was the calculation. Brian Kemp was very clear that we need to bring back white uh, metropolitan women that, that he lost in 2018. And we'll see how Trump does with them, but he's never done particularly well with them. And that's a, a real liability. And Kemp's right about that. But the 
strategy and the theory only works in a in a certain vacuum, and that vacuum would be a one-on-one race against a Democrat in a general election, and that's not what we have. You know, we have a special election that's got 20-plus people in it, and she's got a major challenger in Doug Collins who came into the race with a lot of respect from Republicans and uh, a, a great high-profile relationship with the president. He was a ma- one of the major defenders during the impeachment and on the Judiciary Committee. So uh, she was thrown into a situation where she could not run that playbook. I mean, she had to go win a primary. And I think after the special, when we get into the runoff, if she's the nominee, I think we're going to see her talking about different topics. She's not going to like say, I was just kidding. I'm not really that conservative. (laughs) She's not going to do that. Um, She's going to talk about different things. She's going to talk about her business experience. She's going to talk about fixing the budget, fixing health care. It's going to be much more of a pragmatic approach where the original theory can come into play. Okay. But don't you feel like it's a little bit like an episode of The Bachelor between these two? I mean, now you've got uh, people stumping for Collins you know, Matt Gates was in town saying, hey, you know, uh, it's only because she gave 50 million to the Trump campaign. I mean, this is like Republican on Republican crime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. And it has certainly uh, just driven a huge dividing line through the party. And and we'll see how easy it is to heal those wounds, no matter who the quote unquote nominee is in the uh, in the runoff. It's been tough. And of course, you've you've you saw some tough rhetoric from Matt Gates, but you also have seen some really personal attacks on Doug from the National Republican Senatorial Committee from the very beginning that go after him personally in, in ways. And so, but you know, I, I know on the leftler side, what has gotten under their skin isn't so much policy attacks. It's the, you know, stuff about her, the jeans she wears and how long her hair is and that, that type of thing it has really, you know, annoyed them. And I think the, the personal attacks on Doug from the NRSC have really bothered Doug. I think it's nasty on both ends when it comes to that. I think it's really tricky when you're a female running for office. You know, you are scrutinized by the what you wear and how you present yourself. And I do think it's harder for for a woman in that way. But um, whether that's fair or not. Exactly. Um, the reality. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to have to keep our eye on that. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot at stake here, but you, Brian, are thoroughly entertaining to talk to. You are unflappable. I mean, you're just, <laughs> he's a pro. He's an absolute pro. <laughs> what a great guest. Um, what is, what is the best political spot running right now? You know, I, I think one ad that's up right now that's easy to just prove and push back, and that kind of hurts your credibility, is the Ossoff ad saying that Purdue is a pirate of the pan- pandemic, and he used insider knowledge from the Senate to make money in the stock market. He wasn't even in the hearing that they cited in the ad, and he bought Delta stock that day, which goes to show he wasn't cashing in on, on what was what was coming. He was just making big stock trades, which any a person of his wealth does fairly regularly. There was no stock dump by him that day. That would be something that would raise eyebrows. The Securities and Exchange Commission, the DOJ, the Senate Ethics Committee all looked into it and said there's nothing here, closed the case. So uh, that's one that I would push back on. And and, and look, I, I am a Republican, so I, I'm going to be biased in this. And then you got 
Lisa McBath on healthcare saying that Karen Handel cut CDC funding. She didn't. That's not true. She said she was for uh, gutting healthcare. There's nothing that backs up that argument uh, in, in Karen's voting record or in her rhetoric. So uh, those Can't are two. Can't you go that both ways? I mean, because it's like, I love the Ossoff ads where it's like, Al Jazeera is a terrorist organization. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and, you know, we're, we're being a little high and mighty here. <laughs> right. I mean, come on. It's like, I mean, Ossoff's come out and said he's not for defund the police. And there's these ads running that says John Ossoff is wants to defund the police. I mean, it's just kind of this back and forth is what's so kind of ridiculous. I mean, and, and, and I think it does play into people's um, not wanting. I mean, th- they just don't believe it. Right. Like they right. start to kind of just disengage and hate the process. And a lot of times start to really dislike the people that are running, even though they're human beings. I mean, I think that's what we forget a lot of the time is that people that are running for office are human beings. They've got feelings, you know. I wonder about Kelly Loeffler. Well, Mara, come <laughs> but, on. But, but I understand what you're saying. I, I, I do. Well, these are really great points. Um, Brian, I hope you'll be willing to come on this show again. It's the first time you and I have talked. I hope I didn't burn this friendship between <laughs> no, you I've and Jeff. I've had fun. I've had fun. <laughs> so we can hear you on the great uh, political breakfast with, uh, with my friend Dennis O'Hare. Yes. And yes, new episodes every Friday. And on virtually any platform in Atlanta, I'm on there at some juncture. Right. You're on Political Rewind a lot. Um, with I, I am. I'm on that a lot, too. Yeah. With Jen, which is always fun. That's how I got to know Jen, actually. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, podcasts are good. It's how we all come yeah. together. So Yeah. This has been great. This has been great. You've opened our eyes to a lot of s- stuff, and um, I'm sure the ads will get crazier, and I'm sure we'll be reaching out again to get your perspective, <laughs> Brian. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, guys. I enjoyed it. Well, that was a great conversation with Brian, who is really a riot. Um, What a great guest. I learned. I joked. I I hope I made him squirm, maybe. 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 (laughs) I think I made Jen squirm a little bit, too. Probably. Okay. Um, But what we talked about a lot was the current jungle primary for Georgia U.S. Senator. And Jen, can you please explain what this actually means. So we were talking about Leffler and Collins. And, you know, I think Brian was really doing a good job of saying why Leffler's having to approach this almost like a primary within a general. So what is a jungle primary? So whenever an elected official resigns, it triggers a vacancy that then requires something called a jungle primary. What that is, is it's all comers, right? So what we're used to are the political parties having a primary, and then one Democrat and one Republican will emerge from that, and then they'll face each other, right? So there'll just be two people on the ballot, sometimes three, if the libertarian candidate can can make it over. The issue with a jungle primary is anybody can jump in. Anybody can add their name as long as they pay the qualifying fee. Um, What is that fee? It's actually pretty steep for U.S. Senate. I think it's over $5,000, which makes you wonder what's going on here, why there are so many people who just had a random 5,000, 5K to lay down. But that's that's for another. another Is it too late now? So 
Not to qualify, yes. Okay. Okay. So the issue that we have, we keep talking about kind of Collins, Leffler, Warnock, and Lieberman, right? That's what we hear. The real issue is that we have, I think, about 21 candidates that are listed under this kind of U.S. Senate race. We've got one Green candidate. We've got four independents, one Libertarian. We've got six Republicans. And wait for it, we've got eight Democrats. You being a state senator and very involved in the Georgia Democratic Party, is anybody sitting down and, and taking the lead and saying, all right, we're seeing Warnock leading this, the rest of you guys, there'll be a reward for you at a later date, especially Matt Lieberman, who seems to be the, the, in second place with Warnock. Why do you stay in? I, I have no idea why these cats are staying in. I can tell you that the Democratic Party can't get involved because it's democracy, right? So okay. if people want to run, they can run. But can someone pull you aside and be like, eh. I have no doubt that there's been a lot of conversations, right? Where people have probably begged, pleaded, cajoled, screamed, done all of the above, right? To try to get some of these folks out. And for some reason, they're just not willing to do it. But, but what I really want to bring to everybody's attention is that it's not just Lieberman that we need to be focused on if we are really wanting for us to be able to get behind a candidate like Warnock, for example, then we really need all of the Dems to withdraw their name, you know, from the race. Because as we saw from the initial, remember when, when John Ossoff ran for Congress against Karen Handel, the problem there was, of course, there were so many Dems, he couldn't get over 50%. It went to a runoff and Carol, Karen Handel won the seat. And so that is the issue that we're looking at here, that we're not, because there are so many Democrats, one Democrat is going to be unable to capture 50% plus one, right, to avoid a runoff. And that is really what the killer is. Well, Warnock is definitely getting some more name recognition because his commercials have been running. I don't think they're that great. I think... They're trying for something where, like, here he is, he's in the grocery store telling his story. Well, you know, outside of probably um, Atlanta and kind of, you know, he's the pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church. I don't think people know him. And so, you know, my guess is that this is just an introduction. That's this is who he is. He's a pastor. He's a good guy, right? That's kind of really what they're trying to say and that he's different than other politicians because he's a pastor and, and you know, he's he's kind of kind of a self-made person. You know, they're trying to weave that story. I'm Raphael Warnock and that boy was me. Back then, I didn't understand how much the system works against those without power and money, that the rules were different for some of us. Too often that's still true today, especially in Washington. I approve this message because it's time for that to change. But you're right. Like, you know, he's he does have a compelling story. And so, you know, I, I wish they'd come out with a little bit more punch. But, you know, we're just we're just beginning to. Well, uh, we're going to watch this race very closely because this jungle primary is crazy. Matt Lieberman, obviously, in, in case you didn't know, is the son of former presidential candidate Joe Lieberman. 
I think, did he run for president? Vice president. Vice, Vice president. Uh, but wait, no, didn't he run for president? He because, may have. Everybody did. His, I remember his slogan was he had Jomentum. Okay. <laughs> well, Biden may be using that too, so we got to be a little careful. I really hope he doesn't. Well, but this is the issue. This is what's interesting about Lieberman. I saw um, he posted some video on social. And so his whole point was that anybody should be able to run and that he has the best chance to win because he'd been, you know, polling at a certain level for a long time and that these other people had been chosen and, and handpicked. And, but he was somebody who really was in it and doing the work. And that's just not true. Like the only reason he's polling high is because his dad, right? Like his dad was a national candidate. His dad was a U.S. Senator who had an incredibly high profile. And is quite popular actually with Democrats and Republicans. He's one of those moderates that people do kind of like. He was like really friendly with, with John McCain. Well, it goes back and forth. People have their issues with Joe Lieberman with right but 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 the issue is this a lot of times in these polls especially these initial polls people go for the name that they recognize right they don't know anything about the candidate but they're like oh Lieberman that sounds familiar so I'm going to go with that person so but the whole idea that Matt Lieberman has been on the ground doing the work and and he's the guy from a public policy standpoint to to represent us in the U.S. Senate just just doesn't hold water I mean, there's a reason he's polling so high, but it, it really doesn't have anything necessarily to do with him. All right. So listen, Matt, drop out. That's it. <laughs> and the other six Democrats, including Deborah Jackson, um, there's a lot of them. But one of the things that I am super concerned about, even from the perspective of if we're not even talking about partisan politics, is that I don't think a lot of people are aware that there are going to be 21 candidates on the ballot. And it's really going to be overwhelming for you to go in thinking you're going to see Leffler or Collins or Warnock or Lieberman. And then all of the sudden you've got 21 people that you're having to kind of go through and try to figure out what's going on. That's intense. It is intense and it and it's confusing and and it really could be a, a recipe for disaster. But at a minimum, it's a recipe for a runoff. Well, that's really good because that'll keep our podcast going. Vote her podcast. Voting is through tight. January. <laughs> I know everybody's excited. Okay. Um, we're going to shift gears to go to our do good cause of the week. And we wanted to give focus to an amazing ad since we've been talking about political ads throughout this episode this came out last week, and it is featuring uh, exotic dancers, and they are encouraging people to get their booty to the pole. Take a listen. Get your booty to the pole. 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 Yeah. Did we get your attention? Good. So, you're really not going to vote? You know it's more than just the president on the ballot, right? Check it. A district attorney decides who to prosecute. Including whether or not to go after dirty cops. Do you know who elects the DA? We do. But you don't want to vote. Can't make it rain if you locked up on some bullshit. Want trades and coding taught in our schools? Then vote for the school boards that will prepare us for the job market. 
Want to end cash bail? Well, then vote for the sheriffs and county officials that feel the same way you do. But you talking about, oh, they gonna pick who they gonna pick, shawty. Ferguson just elected their first black mayor. You know how that happened? It's clear black lives don't matter to some of our current elected officials. If they matter to you, then don't let other people decide who's gonna run your community. Get your booty to the poll. Get your booty to the poll. Get your booty to the poll. Get, get, get your vote, vote, yeah, vote, 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 stretch. For information vote, on how and where to vote, vote as well as resources vote, to find out who's running vote, where you live, vote, go to getyourbootytothepoll.com. Get your booty to the poll. Get your booty to the poll. Well, I sent, th- here's what's funny. I sent this to Jen and I could feel her blushing through our direct <laughs> message. But then later on that day, you did tweet it out. So you like this. So look, this is the deal. And and, and because this is radio, you're not, you have to, the visuals in this ad are, are what is so striking. Um, however, um, and, and what really gets people's attention on social media, but for the people who just listen to it, it's the message. Because what folks need to understand is they've got to vote and they've got to vote at every single level. The prosecutors make the decisions in terms of who they prosecute, right? What, what happens with the grand juries? All these things that are kind of bubbling up that everybody has so many concerns about, you know, it really is on us to vote. And as these um, ladies so eloquently put it, to, to get your booty to the poll. I mean, and we see their booties and they are beautiful booties. And um, the people that put this together, by the way, there's a website called getyourbootytothepoll.com. Angela Gomez directed it and the producer is Paul Fox. And if you go to the website, you can see um, some of Atlanta's finest dancers from Atlanta's Gentleman's Club to tell their customers to get their booty to the poll. I think it's genius. I think it's great. I, I absolutely, like, I, I think this is the coolest thing. <laughs> well, I definitely think it's going to drive a uh, voter turnout at the cheetah. So uh. Uh, this is, um, you, you know, I, I, what I like about it too, is that it is so in your face. I think, look, in the Trump era presidency, all bets are off. So you can't, suddenly be offended by this when you have a president who suggests grabbing women by the pussy. So listen, you, you, any of that clutch your pearl stuff, I think all bets are off. And that's why I find this so provocative. And, um, and, and I think these, these, these ladies, I think this is brilliant. I'm so into it. Get your booty to the poll.com. And you know, it's P O L L not P O L E. And that's the brilliant part about it. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Our booties will be back again next week. We drop every Tuesday. Thank you to everybody who's commented. By the way, we've gotten so many great tweets at Senator Jen, at Mara Davis. You can email us, voteherpodcast at gmail.com. Jen, we've gotten some really nice feedback from people. It means a lot. It does, because we really... I mean, look, we want to have fun with this, but we really want to provide information that people want and need. So the more feedback we get, I think the better we can make the show. And also tweet us when you get your absentee ballots, because I'm waiting for mine. Me too. And so please keep those tweets coming as when you got them and 
Are you going to go to the locations around? Are you going to put it in the mail? Please tell us your voting plan so we can share that with everybody because I think that really helps. Yeah, absolutely. We want to thank Terminus Records for our music. We want to thank our editor and producer, Christina Loringer. And we want to thank our guest today, Brian Robinson, for taking the time uh, to uh, talk to us. And we, we love that. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, y'all. 